Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's up the middle, it's a base hit! Meeting in the middle. Slice, slice. They fought for the freedom of middle. The middle of the middle. The middle of the middle. The middle of a war! Bring it ridiculous! Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No! Not the middle seat! Just say the magic word, and a brand new Middle Seats podcast will appear on your feed. We're the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I am your super heroic host tonight, Mr. Andrew J. Let's meet my super friends. He's got super heroic abs, but the heart of a child, Mr. Nate Lunkarini. Aw, you shouldn't have. I know. Wait, is that a compliment? I think it is. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate it. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, do you want to switch? Because I'm assuming mine's worse. Yeah, it's better than the alternative. He's just a child, Mr. Jake Hensler. <laughs> Actually, that's the most accurate one you've done in the years that we've been doing this. So right. I'll take it. <laughs> Definitely true. I know. I went for truth, justice, and the American way on this one. <laughs> if you're just joining us for the first time, the Middle Seas podcast, like I said, is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Our show is typically divided into three segments. We talk about a general topic that one of the crew pitches, like you're in the lobby of a movie theater, our lobby talk segment. Then we go diving into the world of news and movies and entertainment. And then we go into our feature review of the week of usually the biggest movie that we saw in recent days. This week, it is of the latest DCEU superhero film, Shazam. And we want to remind you that there are time codes in the description below. So if you can't join us for the entire time, no sweat. No, we're pretty chill here on the middle seats. You can just join us for a certain discussion. We would love to have you no matter where you're listening. And we thank you for joining us tonight, wherever you may be. Let's move into our lobby talk segment. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. We talk about a lot of movies on this show, but there is one major event not happening in theaters that is coming up on the horizon, and that is Game of Thrones Season 8. This might be the most hype television event of the decade. Feel free to correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. Maybe. But I would say bigger. Right off the top of the head, yeah, I can't think of anything. This will be television's Avengers Endgame. There's been so much buildup to this season. And for this, we just wanted to gush. Like, what do we think is going to happen? What do we hope doesn't happen? Uh, there's so much that could go on in this final season. Uh, so obviously, 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 spoilers if you aren't caught up. I hope you are. Depending on how quickly I edit this, this will be out just before the first episode or just after the first episode. And there's only six this season, but there's still seven seasons before that you got to catch up on. So that said, let's just jump right into it. Jake, you excited? Duh. One of the best TV shows ever. Uh, I'm super excited about Game of Thrones coming back. What an insane month we have ahead of us between Avengers and Game of Thrones at the same time. There's going to be a lot of emotions on the big and small screen. But that being said, my my goodness, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to be excited and cry all within 20 minutes of each other, probably. Mm-hmm. Right. That weekend where Endgame comes out is supposed to be one of their big, long 85, 90 minute episodes. And it's supposed to be the one of the big battle ones, I think. Yes. Yeah. Knock it out. Lord of the Rings for like biggest battle scene ever. Right. Yeah. When anytime you're compared to Helm's Deep, you're doing something right. You know, what's very impressive about Game of Thrones, just thinking back and reflecting on what the series is. Think about how many of these fantasy series fail. For as many Game of Thrones, there's 20 like Spartacus shows. And I mean, like those shows are fine, but they don't attach themselves to the cultural zeitgeist and the masses like Game of Thrones has. And has made itself the biggest show arguably ever. Right. People love it because of how crazy it gets how many characters there are how epic it feels every week and that alongside with the crazy twist that they've obviously shocked mm-hmm. audiences with yeah the the trauma that they put us through after killing our favorite character absolutely right people love to be surprised and 
Game of Thrones consistently surprises you, and that's why we're so hyped. It's because everybody, including people that read the books, they don't have that to hold over us anymore. You know, Mm -mm. it's very much like everybody's in the same boat. We have no idea what's going to happen. And I think some of us are a little scared that we might not like it, but the show has gained so much goodwill over the years that I think a lot of us expect to be pleased by what happens, whatever it is. Yeah, I I trust them. I'm really excited that the show is ending, not because I don't like the show. I love the show. But I feel like someone like put the pacifier in the show's mouth last season because last season was kind of like the build-up season and there just weren't as many deaths as we needed to. The biggest one, I think, was Littlefinger, who was one of my personal favorite characters. And he kind of went out like a little bit of a wimp. Right. And he was kind of the only big name that I can at least remember because I feel like they were saving a lot of the the story-ending arcs for this season. So I'm hoping that this season has a little bit of teeth and we get major deaths sometimes before or sometimes after people fulfill their character arcs. That's the really cool thing. Anybody can die at any moment, and I need to get back to that. And I like that because season seven was such a tease in that department. Like, there were so many chances where that could have happened. Jamie literally ends an episode, like, drowning in the water. Mm -hmm. After a dragon attacked him. After a dragon attacked him. Seven or eight of the main characters are surrounded by White Walkers with, like, five minutes to go in the episode. And the one with no name is the only one that died. Right. Yeah. Like, they had so many opportunities to do what they've shown themselves to do in the past, which is take out major characters like their serial mascots and, like, not important at all. I don't know why mm-hmm. I, I went after serial there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Tony the Tiger's a little offended. Yeah, screw that guy. Um, <laughs> but this is their chance to... And I don't want I don't want gratuitous deaths just for the sake of gratuitous deaths. But right. sacrifices will need to be made. Like they have been building up this war for years now. Mm-hmm. Winter's been coming since what 2011. Yeah, something like that. And now it's finally here. They they said winter is here, which I kind of mm-hmm. like that. That's the ending of the show. Winter's here. I actually think a little bold prediction of mine. Not that I think the White Walkers will win overall. But I think that third episode is the one where it's the big White Walker battle, I think. My guess is that the White Walkers win that battle, and that's the one that makes everybody go, "Uh uh-oh, we're actually in trouble. The people in King's Landing who don't really care about it, I think that's the one that'll make them realize, because now the White Walkers are in their territory, killing people and winning battles with a dragon. Right. I kind of like that because it's... I can't really see the Lannisters jumping on board immediately with this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, It's very much a uneasy alliance if there even is one right now in the second act of any big action movie the team usually needs to take an l before they get the w at the end let's have winterfall fall baby yeah it happens in the original avengers it happens in justice league whatever we think about that movie um (laughs) but those are prime examples things don't work out usually and it has to write it the ship that's a good one because i can see Maybe Cersei coming to her senses, but in the end also being the devious bastard that she is and that kind of doing her in at some point. And then maybe mm-hmm. Jamie's like, all right, screw you. We're all going to die for your ignorance and then kills her. Whoa. Yeah, that's kind of what he already he kind of already stormed out on her. Right. Basically, I feel like Cersei is going to just stick to her guns, stubborn as all hell and just completely screw somebody over on her way out. I don't think she's going to, like, turn to the quote-unquote good side. I don't think it's in the cards. I don't know if I'd like that. I don't think so either, because she's such a villain. Yeah, I've hated her since season one. And she's obviously had some great freaking moments on the show oh, since. Yeah. But I I still I still hate her from season one. She's a top yeah. five character, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, she's so well written. Lena Headey does a tremendous job Oh, with yeah. Her. That's why mm-hmm. she's one of the best acted characters. Right, all the cast does a great job, but her especially. The definition of conniving and, like awful right like think about what Cersei's been through and the fact that we still hate her is so impressive she had a whole season where her life was like destroyed yeah (laughs) Yeah. and as soon as we started to feel bad for her we were like never mind you suck again yeah right it was beautiful I love it speaking of redemption arcs though Jamie has quickly become one of my favorite characters because of the opposite of that yeah who the hell predicted that yeah (laughs) good writing and directing is what that is (laughs) on the face of bold predictions here Obviously, the two main players are Daenerys and Jon Snow. Is your fire and ice there? Obviously, they became a a couple at the end here. And I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be really annoyed if they end up like happily ever after at the end of this. Even if it ends up being like a sad, bittersweet ending, but they're together. I'm going to be a little annoyed because that's not the Game of Thrones that we were introduced to. My bold prediction is that somehow 
John becomes like White Walkerized, and someone needs to put him down. Like the I Am Legend dog. Yeah, yeah. And I'm hoping that it's not Daenerys because honestly, like they just met last season. I feel like it'd be it, it's not emotional enough of a impact if she takes him out because oh, I only really knew you for four episodes, you know. I'm hoping it's Arya. That's my bold prediction. Ooh, that would be interesting. She has to make the choice of whether she wants to be a Stark and save her brother or spare her brother or be the cold-hearted assassin that she trained for and then tried to turn away from, you know? And you know what? That could fit into into mine. Maybe the the Battle of Winterfell goes so poorly, even Jon loses. Like that they would be crazy. Lose. Wow. And that's such a subversion of expectations because they brought him back from the dead. He's the only character who got brought back from the dead just to die again. Right. That all transitions really well into mine, which is that you expect, because they've been such the source of light in this series, you expect a Stark to survive. Do they kill every single Stark? That would be heartbreaking for the fans, certainly. Right. Like, would would that be too much? Ooh. Or, alternatively, the... The Starks become like the next generation of White Walkers, and they kind of do like a, for lack of a better term, like a Matrix reloaded reset, where there always needs to be some sort of White Walker balance in the North. What if, and this is just kind of, this is more allegorical, but what if the Starks by name survive, but they take over King's Landing and they become as cruel and merciless as the Lannisters were? And what if there's this kind of poignant message where power can corrupt anyone? Maybe. I feel like that's hard to arc because they never do time jumps in Game of Thrones and there's obviously a first for anything. Yeah, there was like one flashback in the entire thing. But like you need to show them getting cruel in some way. And I don't think you can do that if everything's happened in real time. Although Arya is pretty ruthless right now and Sansa seems to be not exactly great. Sansa's the one that basically ordered the hit on Littlefinger. I mean, yeah, it's not not set up. (laughs) It's all a matter of perspective because we've been following them as the heroes, but to the Lannisters, they're the villains. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's all a matter of perspective. And there's the whole, I think, if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. What if we've been paying attention to the wrong thing? I don't know. This is just like a 4 a.m. discussion. I don't really have a lot to back. (laughs) Before we get going, I read, I don't know if this is totally accurate. Diehard Game of Thrones fans could say it better. But I heard there was a prophecy where whoever gets the Iron Throne also has to kill their loved one in the process which makes me think uh jamie either kills cersei and gets the throne john kills daenerys gets the throne maybe maybe like nate said Arya kills john in some way to get the throne but i thought it was lover like kills their lover and ends up on the throne game of thrones has a lot of weird prophecies uh, i'll throw a shout out to i think it's alt shift x on youtube they do some really cool breakdowns of all of the book prophecies and how all the characters could tie into it um, like the Lord of Light prophecy that's been brought up a couple times in the show, and a lot of people predict that John is that person, born of ice and fire kind of thing. There's the the theory that the witch told Cersei that Jamie is going to kill her. Right. There was something um, like that. when she thinks that it's Tyrion who's supposed to, because mm-hmm. that's her other brother. There's a lot of really cool theories, and you could you could deep dive so easily to this. And we have no way of knowing how big or small the show writers are going to treat those kind of things. And I think the three of us can only speak as film and TV fans. We can't speak as book fans, obviously. Yeah, like Jake doesn't know how to read. <laughs> yeah. That, I, <laughs> I, things have only been read to me over the last eight right. years. I don't really... I, there's no pictures in Game of Thrones, so... <laughs> I know. But we can all speak to the remarkable durability that the series just has as far as Nate, you talked about it as the biggest TV event. I don't even think of it as a TV show. It's kind of weird because of just how cinematic it feels all the time. We're getting six movies back to back every week for (laughs) for the month of April and May. (laughs) Which is awesome. And I'm very, very excited to see where everything turns out. I'm sure we'll have a lot of speculation. Maybe we should do something at the finale, kind of do a postmortem for it. Just throwing it out there right now. But Game of Thrones returning soon. What a time to be a movie and TV fan. Um, but we'll get to all that later. That'll do it for Lobby Talk this week. Let's move into our news segment. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. We're going to jump in our time machine like we usually do with Freeze Frame and jump back to 2009. Do you guys remember 2009? A little. With horror. 
Yeah, we were all freshmen in high school, so that was weird. What was high school? I know what braces were. <laughs> yeah, I, I do know what one thing was, though, and that's the movie Avatar. It was everywhere in 2009, bleeding into 2010. It is still worldwide the highest grossing movie of all time. It's been overtaken here in the United States, but still the highest grossing movie of all time, an original sci-fi movie. Remarkable that James Cameron was able to do that with two straight movies in a row. Can he go three for three? That's the question, because Avatar 2, after 11 years in development now, it will finally be here next December. December 20th, 2020, we're finally supposed to get Avatar 2. We'll see if it actually happens, but it's possible. (laughs) Cameron has been working on Avatar 2 now for the better part of this decade. He shot Avatar 2 and Avatar 3 back-to-back, so we'll get Avatar 3 in 2021. And then, I don't know if these are done deals or not, but Avatar 4 and 5 are supposed to shoot back-to-back and come in 2024 and 2025. Talk about ambitious. Does anybody actually know what's happening? No. (laughs) No. I liked Avatar. I did. I just, I'm I'm having a problem remembering two, like, memorable scenes from it. Besides the love scene, I guess, where they touch tails. Why is that the only thing you remember? That's the part you remember? Yeah, because that was oh the meme, that was the very memeable part, guys. I got a therapist with your name on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the Avatar movies are about to get a lot more about family, guys, because Vin Diesel has been added to the film. He posted on Instagram him in the mocap studio with James Cameron. He has some kind of role in the Avatar sequel. He'll be joining most of the cast returning, Sam Worthington, who's just been waiting for this movie to happen, I feel like, for the better part of a decade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's been watching his bank account slowly decrease, like, come on, right. come on. Clash of the Titans only worked out a little bit, so. <laughs> uh-huh. He's in, like, the best 3D movie ever and the worst 3D movie ever. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver is back in some kind of role. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know. Zoe Saldana, of course, she's been doing fine. She doesn't need this, but I'm sure she'll take the free paycheck. Kate Winslet joins the cast. Cliff Curtis is in this one. Stephen Lang will somehow be back again. They're just bringing everybody back. It doesn't matter why or how. We're going to tree heaven, I guess. So, guys, I think the question I have, even more than the Vin Diesel news, because this just gives us an excuse to talk about Avatar. How much do you remember it? And are you, I know you don't have a list in front of you, but would this even make your top 10 most anticipated next year? Nate, go ahead. Uh, Avatar was cool. Like, we did the whole 3D thing because that was the thing to do is to see Avatar in 3D. That's when I realized I didn't like 3D. (laughs) I I still didn't like the experience. Um, The thing about 3D is that if you aren't looking where the filmmaker wants you to look, everything looks blurry. And that's so distracting to me. Anyway, Avatar. I, I enjoyed it. It was definitely creative, but it also didn't strike me as something that needed world building. Cameron obviously has some direction to go with it. And my speculation is that we'll look at other tribes or something on the planet like completely different maybe like maybe we get like an underwater avatar tribe who knows um just to show yeah, off something and, and cool. they have said real quick they have said that a lot of avatar 2 will take place underwater oh well that's awesome there you go. My perfect part. I totally <laughs> i totally pulled that out of my bum what a genius <laughs> <laughs> so i think just visually it'll be cool but you know, it was also visually cool, but completely tone-deaf story-wise was, like, that City of a Thousand Planets. What was it? Valerian? Something Valerian. Like that. It was a cool sci-fi project, but it was not a great movie. So, if there's anyone to pull it off, it's probably James Cameron. But in terms of excitement, I'm a, I'm a lukewarm pot of water here. Oh, God. Somebody take the knife out of James Cameron's side, because that was a stab <laughs> and a half. Ooh, the Valerian cut runs deep folks <laughs> oh man <laughs> uh jake what about you are you gonna make a jupiter ascending reference is that where we're going <laughs> no i would never go that bad I'm not a fan of that movie at all but i'm i'm kind of with nate on on a few different reasons i saw avatar in theaters when it came out and 13 14 year old me thought it was great and then i have not seen it since i never went back and revisited it so i don't remember a whole lot about it uh it was like the biggest like game-changing special effects and graphics and stuff like that right that's why it was so big it's, it's hard to replicate again and talk about what that movie meant to visual effects and stuff like that, but it was way ahead of its time. It looked right. incredible, so, and it still looks great from what I've seen. Oh, yeah, sure. Right, so for, from that perspective, I doubt he's going to get there again. I think it's a little bit too late. It should have been a couple of years after, where not 10-plus years later. I don't think it's going to have the same impact. On a bit of a different slash same note, 
I don't know why people keep casting Vin Diesel in all these gigantic franchises. <laughs> <laughs> he's not anything special as an actor. Uh, maybe it's unpopular opinion. I don't think he's a great actor by any means. Well, also, uh, think about what he has to do in the Marvel movies. <laughs> well, that, well, that's yeah. what I mean. He, There are other people who can do better acting jobs. I don't know why he keeps getting casted. Wait, wait, wait. Tinfoil hat time really quick. I'm sorry to interrupt. Tinfoil but, hat time. Oh, God. Like, isn't Avatar owned by Disney now? Like, the Disney park has Avatar, right? Yes. Group crossover? Uh, <laughs> I just started out there. Not impossible. It's possible. Well, that's, it's one, possible that's one way to keep the MCU going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm um, sorry, Jake. <laughs> no, 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 that's a great point. I'm glad you interrupted. <laughs> what? I, I don't know if I would call it a great point, but it was a point. It's better than where I was going. Uh, all I'm going to say is I'm not particularly excited for this, not top 10 of whenever year this decides to come out. I think it's cool that they're going to go underwater and use mocap underwater. That's definitely cool. James Cameron returning is a good sign. Other than that, I'm kind of like, okay, they say they're going to release it in the next couple of years and I will go see it, but I'm not eager for it. I'm Honestly, if it, if they decided to scrap it, I would also go, okay. Yeah, same. So. That's where I thought I we know. were three years ago. <laughs> right. Exactly. This is mainly it's way too late. And I can't imagine they have groundbreaking cinematic effects again to get people to go out and watch this and make, you know, $2 billion. I just don't see it. To, just as a devil's advocate, I, I agree with you on that point, but he's done it twice now. <laughs> so Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, if he does it again, then, you know, bravo. I will gladly have you prove me wrong. But I just don't see a need for this other than we need money again. Right. Titanic to Avatar was... 12 years, so this is actually a shorter layoff somehow. <laughs> the thing that makes me annoyed about this is I I wouldn't have a problem with an Avatar sequel. Like, of course they were going to make a sequel. Right. It makes complete... Like, there's no way this was going to be a standalone, given how great it did. But do I need three others after that? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. not. Like, you're allowed to finish your trilogy. Okay, I'll even give you that one. But, like, why are we planning another back-to-back shoot? Like, what possible story could be building here that yeah, you watch. I need to be excited for? And the thing that makes me annoyed about this is that this is wasting years of James Cameron. One of the visionary directors of our era has only made two movies in 20 years. And I mean, he's put his name in producing credits and Alita Alita Battle Angel definitely had a lot of his influence on it. But I don't need this from him. I want something else, you know, like I want like a Terminator 2 and I want like an alien that I know I'm listing sequels and I'm not helping myself. But, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Like, I'd rather yeah. him made two or three movies by now than just wait for a movie that will probably not even top the first one. It's not worth all this. <laughs> I yeah. agree. It's really well, not. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement, but I will be the first one to splice in our comments here. We eventually review Avatar 2, and it blows us all away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Please, I, I'm all for being proven wrong if it's, if it's for something like that, like a good reason. Absolutely. Speaking of things that I think we all hope to be proven wrong about, let's kind of transition into our next story here. Guys, public domain is awesome for movie studios. If you don't know what I'm referring to, Disney owns Marvel. Warner Brothers owns Harry Potter and DC. These are properties that are owned by companies. No other companies can make those movies. Public domain is different. There are some stories throughout history, fairy tales, different classic stories that are just out in the open. Anybody can make a movie about them at any point, any studio. Two of those public domains that are very popular and have a lot of movies made about them are Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. The last time we saw Alice in Wonderland on the big screen was Alice Through the Looking Glass, the not directed by Tim Burton's shockingly sequel to a Tim Burton movie that everybody forgot about until I just said it right now. Two very popular stories, and we are going to see them cross over. Because that's allowed. <laughs> Netflix has hired Anna Klassen, who is a well-regarded writer. She's had scripts on the blacklist before, which are the most attentive, wanted scripts in Hollywood. She is writing Dorothy and Alice, which will follow Dorothy Gale as she's sent to a home for girls experiencing troubling nightmares, where she meets Alice, who I guess is also <laughs> experiencing troubling <laughs> nightmares. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, no. Right off the bat. That's all I got for you, Jake. Run with that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so what, what do we talk about now? It's just, it sounds ridiculous. They're, they're going to cross over Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz, which, I don't know. I, I guess they they both took too much LSD in their prime. Now they're in a home. I don't really, I don't really know where to go with this either. <laughs> All right, I'll be the crazy tinfoil hat guy 
for this whole episode, I think. Oh, my God. How many tinfoil hats do you have? <laughs> He's got right. it prepared. Hear me out. Hear me out. You have the the four witches in the Wizard of Oz, north, south, east, west, right? And then you have your queen in Alice in Wonderland, where you have the queen of hearts. What if there's also queens of the other suits of cards, spades, diamonds, hearts, and clubs? What if there's, like, some weird mastermind nightmare guy who shows people different realities, but they all end up being the same characters. And like the wicked witch of the West is the queen of hearts and the two main characters are just seeing different realities and they all converge. Nate, when's the last time you've slept? (laughs) (laughs) It might've been a little bit less than I should have. (laughs) Are you sweating? He's sweating folks. You can't see it, but it's a fever dream. (laughs) We're all bugging today. The three of us all have something (laughs) off today. As far as this goes, surface level, it sounds pretty disastrous, (laughs) truthfully. It just doesn't sound like any crossover that we need. The Alice in Wonderland movies haven't worked in a long time. The only Wizard of Oz that worked was the original. What makes us think that crossing them over is going to work? Even if you got a great screenwriter, plenty of great screenwriters fail. And Netflix originals are kind of hit and miss also. A lot of their original TV shows work. Not all of the original movies work. I'll push back a little bit, Jake. I feel like this could work, and I'd appreciate this type of project being worked on as opposed to, say, another Robin Hood origin story, you know? Uh, I I agree with you They're just rehashing the same story over and over again. This is at least a very novel concept. Y'all are hypocrites. You don't watch any of those. I have to sit through them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when they get a 12 on Metascore and a... Two on Rotten Tomatoes. You're right. I sit them yeah, out. Yeah, and I like I, I put my <laughs> hands together and go. <laughs> yeah, Andrew's like I love pain and goes. Yeah. To see it. <laughs> it keeps <Yeah>. me alive. <laughs> yeah, you know what this sounds like to me? Well, I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but this sounds like fairy tale version of New Mutants, <laughs> like like a movie they can't even get released right now. Like characters locked up together. You don't know. You know what it sounds like, guys? It sounds like Sucker Punch. I was just about to bring that up if you didn't. Yo. I saw where your brain was firing there. Yo, we I, I, I can't do this, guys. I can't do another one. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine he directs this. Zack Schneider is he, for those not informed. <laughs> oh, God. All right, we're moving on before more bad ideas are set on mic. <laughs> Speaking of things we thought were bad ideas, but might actually be a good idea. You never know. We'll talk about it. You don't know our lives. Here is the trailer for Warner Brothers' Joker. My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile. Gotham has lost its way. I used to think that my life was a tragedy, but now I realize it's a comedy. If you just That was a snippet of the trailer of Joker, directed by Todd Phillips, who, of course, did the Hangover trilogy, Old School, War Dogs. Definitely a very different change of pace for him. Stars Joaquin Phoenix as a guy named Arthur, who throughout time kind of grows into being the clown prince that we all know and love that will eventually fight Batman one day. It's a Joker origin story, basically, which when you say it like that doesn't sound very appealing. But this movie also has Robert De Niro. It's executive produced by Martin Scorsese. It has Domino, Zazie Beetz from Deadpool 2. She's in this. Uh, It will be opening in that Venom slot from last year, early October. Nate, thoughts on the trailer? It's such a weird concept. Like, I don't think anybody would tell you we want a Joker origin story. And this one definitely looks very Art House-esque. Like... Very much a Joaquin Phoenix type of project. And I hope this isn't true, but just on the surface here, it kind of just looks like a weird story about mental health that just happens to feature the Joker, you know? And I'm hoping that it goes a little deeper than that. And the filmmakers aren't just saying, all right, they want us to make a Joker movie. We're going to 
throw that little bit at the end there, but it's not going to be really about the Joker. It's going to be about this Arthur character. But in the right hands, it could work, and Joaquin Phoenix is super talented. So, yeah, I'm definitely intrigued, probably more intrigued than I was when we first talked about this project, but I'm not sold for sure. It just looks very odd. Yeah, that's a good word for it because I don't think anybody expected it to look like this when they first announced it. Maybe maybe when you found out Joaquin was involved and that Scorsese was involved in some way. But when I think of Joker origin, I was afraid that we would get like uh, the the hunka hunka Jared Leto Joker origin. You know what I mean? Where it's all stylized and everything like that. But it's very different in that regard. Um, Jake, what are your preliminary thoughts? Uh, well, I've been pretty negative and skeptical on this from the gun, especially because they, they said they were going to do this as well as a Harley Quinn Joker movie with Jared Leto followed by a Jared Leto alone Joker movie. And I would kind of like, nobody has any idea what they're doing. <laughs> So I've been very skeptical. The one positive thing I have said is that they got Joaquin to play him, which I pretty much think you can't do any better. Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker sounds as pretty much as good as it's going to get. But I actually do kind of like the trailer. I think if you're going to do this, and it sounds like they're completely separate from Suicide Squad and Batman for Superman, which, praise, hell yeah. If they're going to do this, it it should be kind of like what the footage shows. You know, more, like Nate was saying, a little art house. Seemingly dark, definitely more drama, not so much, you know, in your face, like, like not like your typical superhero movie, almost like what Logan was. If you're going to do a Joker movie and get it right, this kind of looks like, at least for me, the version that I would want. Joaquin Phoenix, excellent, and just a dark tale of what looks like a guy just descending into madness over the events of his life until he eventually reaches a breaking point and is officially Stone Cold Psycho Killer, which is kind of what I would hope for. I hope they leave Batman more or less out of it. Uh, I know there's a, he's at least a small part in there. Somebody is cast as a Wayne family member somewhere. But I hope it's more or less really just him and doesn't have too much to do with the superheroes, really just watching this guy lose his mind. I would be okay with that if they could do it that way and get it right. It seems like it's a Joker movie only in name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean... I actually would probably prefer that. It kind of makes me annoyed about the cynicism of Hollywood that this might be what it takes to see Joaquin Phoenix play this huge character persona. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, this should get the same attention as something as a You Were Never Really Here, which came out last year, or anything Joaquin Phoenix has done, because he's probably, if not the most talented actor working today, at least top five. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Um, I kind of echo what Jake said there, where... I don't like the idea of learning the origin of a character whose mystery is his most interesting element. But I also really like the idea of a character study of somebody just losing their mind. Like, those movies really work out a lot of the time. And obviously, Scorsese's had a couple of them where it's, you know, whether it's Taxi Driver or Kings of Comedy is the one everybody talks about. I've never seen it, but I know there's a lot of parallels in between those movies. There's even a little bit of Nicholson in The Shining, it seems like, here. It's a good teaser. It does what it needs to do. It establishes the tone. But, Nate, I think you're right. I would not be surprised if that shot in the elevator is the very last shot of this movie. And that is the moment he embraces being the Joker. You know what I mean? Like, I'm setting myself up for that, even if I don't know if that's a great idea or not. At the end of the day, I think we've all said on mic that we're okay with DC just doing one-off, what-if movies as just like a cool, unique direction that DC can take to try to counter-program the Marvel universe that they just can't seem to pull together. So even if this is not related to anything else that the DCEU ever does, I think it's it's a worthy project. We'll just have to see if it's any good. All right. October 4th, we'll be able to make our decision on Joker. That'll do it for our news segment tonight. Let's move into another DC property. Let's talk about Shazam. Say my name so my powers will become yours. Shazam. Are you for real? Say the king! Shazam! That's crazy, right? What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude? I don't even know how to pee in this thing. Super strength! Electricity manipulation! Hyperspeed! I'd like to purchase some of your finest beer, please. Captain Sparkle Fingers. No, it's not. It's not my. That's not my name. 
you literally did the opposite of what a superhero is supposed to do. How old are you? Basically 15. Did you see that? Yeah, you electrocuted a bus and almost killed these people. And then I caught it! That was part of the trailer for Shazam. It is the eighth movie in the DCEU, directed by David F. Sandberg, who was previously known for a horror movie before this called Lights Out, which is a pretty solid little horror movie. It's quite the change of pace for the DCEU, which has been known for a lot of doom and gloom and dark colors before. This is a very bright, colorful movie starring children and about children, pretty much. Uh, It stars Asher Angel, who was a Disney Channel star before this. He plays Billy Batson. He's a kid that's been jumping from foster home to foster home for pretty much his entire life at this point, looking for his mother. He ends up in a foster home in the care of Victor and Rosa Vasquez. He lives with five other orphans. Of course, one of them is his friend Freddie Freeman, played by Jack Dylan Grazer, who is one of the standouts of the horror hit It. Billy does something that's very pure of heart and nice of him, even though he's kind of an angsty kid. And he gets recruited by an old and decrepit wizard, Shazam, played by Jaman Hansu, in his second superhero movie in under a month. And both of them about a character that in the comics is named Captain Marvel. Isn't that funny? Um. So basically, he gives Billy his powers. And what are these powers? Well, pretty much anything you can think of that Superman has, Shazam has as well. Every time he says the word Shazam, Billy turns into a big chiseled guy in a suit of spandex, but still with the heart of a teenager. That big chiseled body is played by Zachary Levi, who, of course, is best known to a lot of people as NBC's Chuck. He also was in Thor 2, but that's not where he's really known for because nobody remembers that movie. He's been bestowed with the extraordinary power of the Greek gods, but he doesn't really know what to do with them. And he's got to figure it out soon because there's an equally strong and exceptionally evil Dr. Thaddeus Savannah, played by Mark Strong, who is coming to threaten our world as we know it. So, guys, that's a very long-winded way of saying... This is basically a superhero version of Big. Of course, a kid gets powers. He grows into an adult, and he is as irresponsible as you may think. So DC trying a different tone for a change. Did it pay off? That's the big question today. Nate Lungarini, let's start with you. Well, the tone is definitely different. This movie goes a lot for the laughs and a lot for like the, the heart-to-heart moments as opposed to the, the brooding on top of rooftops and whatnot. And uh, for the most part, the movie is pretty funny. But I wasn't a huge fan of this one. Uh, It relies a lot on its child actors. And the two main leads, Asher Angel and uh, Jack Dylan Grazer, play off fine off of each other. And even when he transforms into Zachary Levi's version, uh, their, their antics are fun. But that's really like the first half of the movie. And if you've seen the trailers, you've basically seen the first half of the movie it's learning the superpowers which is the most fun part of the movie um but it's also really predictable from there i wanted to be higher on this one like there are definitely some moments where i laughed but it wasn't enough to carry the rest of the movie for me and i was honestly bored for a lot of it oh okay jake what do you think lesser extent but i was never bored i was entertained throughout i also wanted to like it more than i did like enjoy enjoyable experience I would say a hit for the DCEU, but not quite as much as I wanted. I think the reviews were a little high. It's got like low 70s on Metascore, which for Metascore is is good. That's a solid rating for Metascore. And I thought it was just, it was solid. Feels like a Marvel movie, which unfortunately for DC, I think is good because their dark brooding days have not worked out well for them overall. But I think that, you know, their change of tone was good. I think the acting is overall good. Shazam, I like Shazam as a hero. Just as a movie top to bottom, though, it doesn't really do a whole lot to to reel me in other than, you know, kind of the, the generic stuff that we've all seen before. The only new thing I think they did that I, I wouldn't say I've exactly seen before that I really liked is um, is the, the foster house aspect. I really liked the troubled kid and, you know, him learning to live with a foster home, finding himself, search for his mother kind of thing, finding your family. I really liked all that. I think that was relatively new or felt new for a superhero movie. But other than that, it was a lot of stuff that I've, I've seen before and just felt like another solid superhero movie in the time of Golden Age superhero movies. Interesting. I think you guys are underselling this a little bit, to be honest. I mean, like, you could, you're could you entitled to what you think. But I, for me, I, I think I had a lot of more fun than it sounds like you guys did. Like, fun is the key word, obviously, and I'm going to try to find different ways to get around it. It certainly does feel like a Marvel movie. You're absolutely right. 
But it also feels a lot, the, the direct connection I got a lot with was the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And there's obvious parallels there. David F. Sandberg and Sam Raimi are both horror directors. There are some creepy, frightening scenes here and creepy, frightening elements of the movie. But it just has this kind of corny, cheeky, wondrous sense of humor that kind of just plays on just how amazing it would be to get powers and kind of that wondrous sense of energy and excitement and discovery that a lot of movies kind of bypass these days because superhero movies have become so rote and some of them have become so standard that like we kind of take the joy of getting powers for granted because everybody's got responsibility. It was kind of refreshing and awesome to see a movie just go, no, this is so, so cool. Absolutely plays with the whole kids getting powers. What would they do with it? And really maximizes that to a great effect. But I also found like it had a really big emotional center. Like we talked about the heart of the movie as far as the foster home and the family goes. It's really sweet and wholesome in a way that a lot of these movies often aren't. And it feels like a family movie. Those are things that separated it from me. If we're talking about calling it generic, which I would, I don't think I would do. There are things that are generic about it, which I think we get into the villain. It's a little bit slow at the beginning. And you're right, there are some moments that aren't entirely original, but generic, I think, is a little harsh because this movie feels unique on its own because of Zachary Levi specifically, who I think personally is up there with some of the most perfect casting choices in superhero history. Knowing where he had been before this, if I had to pick someone who has the body of a Chris Evans, but the mind of like a Chris Pratt, I would pick him because he's just got like this such joyous, dorky energy that plays perfectly into the idea of a kid playing up the superhero elements, basically. I just, I really had a really good time with this, like a lot. And I think it does a lot of good things that I think we're undervaluing here. Well, sounds like we'll have a decent discussion. Because I agree, it was fun. Like, I don't want to sound like I disliked it. Parts of the story, for sure, like you said, the kids getting power uh, was definitely a fun and new take on superheroes. As a whole, maybe it was the, maybe it wasn't the writing, maybe it was the directing. I don't, I can't quite pinpoint it. But nothing really took me out and made me go, wow. It was just like an overall solid super superhero movie in a Golden Age of Superhero movies. It was a fun ride. Is it trying to make you go, wow, though? I don't know if it's trying to do that, though. You know what I mean? It's going for this consistent level, and it's really nailing everything. I think it's perfect for what it's trying to be, which is like this solid like double of a superhero movie. I don't think you are, but I hope you're not comparing it to, like, the Avengers Infinity Wars and those movies. No, no, of, of course not. I, but for me, even if this was in the MCU, it would kind of be lower lower tier MCU for me. Mm, I don't know. if I, I would put it on the level of, like, a Spider-Man Homecoming, which is, like, in the middle. It's doing similar things to a lot of the MCU movies that we give the MCU movies a pass, in my opinion. Well, if you brought out the Spider-Man Homecoming comparison... Like, I think in terms of the leads and in terms of, like, the power discovery, because there's a lot of that in Spider-Man, too, of, like, learning how the suit works and, like, learning how to be a fun fun hero and a good hero. Right. Becoming responsible. Yeah. Yeah. I think just where the movie really falls flat with me is that I, I feel like the the two characters just almost feel completely separate for most of the movie. Like, Billy Batson isn't both characters at once you're either talking to asher angel or you're talking to zachary levi and the two characters just don't seem like the same person to me if that makes sense I, it does but i don't know if i agree no, i i did get that a little bit because asher angel's character is a bit of a punk and a little bit he's, he's a little punky but he doesn't strike me as a scam artist and then when he goes into a superhero form the first half of the movie he's doing all these, like, touristy things and, like, drawing attention to himself. And, mm. again, maybe that's how a kid acts when he becomes a superhero. Like, oh, I'm, I want to be the coolest, most popular guy in town. But, I, I don't know, it's just, it's something just didn't click with me. And I think a lot of it just comes down to dialogue. And I just feel like the dialogue wasn't as smartly written as, say, like, a Marvel movie or even another, like, a Spider-Man, um, like, Sam Raimi style. I feel like the dialogue was just a little flat, just a little hollow, especially with the supporting cast, who is really supposed to carry this movie. They just didn't really do it for me. You were saying a lot of things I disagree with, and I, I'm, I'm losing track. It. I'm losing track of it. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I, I, I kind of went off there. It feels like I'm, I'm a bit of the, the middleman, so maybe I'll play back and forth. I didn't really have a problem with the supporting cast. I actually like Darla a lot. Darla is like the, for those who are you know didn't see the movie, she's um, probably the youngest in the, the foster home. 
I thought oh, yeah. she was good. She was some good comedic relief. She's adorable. She was a sweet, innocent, fun character. I had a lot of fun with her. The other three are kind of one note I'll agree with. They're just kind of there to show that it's a it's a crowded foster home. Mm-hmm. And also, actually, for me, a bit of a side note, Andrew has, like, cardinal movie sins. But right now I have one, and Shazam has it. It's overdoing the, the bullying thing. I decided with the movie It from last <laughs> year. Yeah. If you overdo the bullying... I'm I'm immediately annoyed. I'm sick of movies overdoing bullying, and this one does it. <laughs> yeah, this one has a lot of that. Movies have been doing that though since Biff tried to rape Marty McFly's mom. Like, yeah, well, but, that was 2019, and I'm sick of it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Jack Dylan Grazer is like ha- walks with a limp. He's got some kind of cane. They literally hit him with his car, and then like start kicking him. I'm like, no, no, absolutely, completely ridiculous, and I will not buy this. Yeah, where's the faculty? So I hated all of that stuff. That mm-hmm. stuff always makes me annoyed in movies. In the grand scheme, it's small, but like that bothered me. I thought the opening, I thought of that was a little overdone. Um, and then I'm, I kind of go back and forth with the the demon part of the villain. Sometimes I really liked it, and sometimes I thought it was too much. He he was kind of inconsistent because he was either like super powerful and super evil, or right. And that, it's another movie wasting a decent Mark Strong performance, which is what's new. Yeah. Uh, every time he's the focus, it comes to a screeching halt. I agree with that, and I agree with the fact that a lot of the mythical stuff doesn't really work as well. But mm-hmm. I, I don't. I just I'm not on board with the whole characterization that Zachary Levi and Asher Angel are playing two separate people. Like they felt very cohesive to me. The first time we meet Asher Angel's character, you're saying like he he doesn't seem like kind of like a scam artist. He literally locks cops in a store when we first meet him. No, no, that's fair. He's a very flashy personality. And the reason he seems so angsty, it's an act to me. The Shazam character is like a, it's an evolution of who he wants to be, but who he isn't, if that makes sense. It's the whole, it's the whole unbridled enthusiasm brought to life as opposed to this angsty personality who has a lot of like stuff, heavy stuff that he's going through. You know what I mean? It's his like escape from that. That's definitely true and a good point. But then I think I needed a little more of him being upbeat after finding out that he has powers. Because it feels like he goes back to the Mm -hmm. same angsty kid without powers every time he's him. Like, when he's not Shazam, when he's not Zachary Levi, he kind of goes back to the same role of maybe it is a mask, maybe it is a fake kind of identity, Mm -hmm. but then I need a little bit more of a transition after he receives powers. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, that's a a mild criticism of me. I'm much more interested in what you have to say about the the side characters. All the non-main orphans in the foster house for me seemed very one note every time they were on screen they said one line that was about their character and then they talked to somebody else and it was that process over and over and over again and i just got bored pretty quick yeah i mean the one note purposes like i don't necessarily i think the little girl is absolutely adorable and i think she's great and everything that she yeah does. i love darla she was, she's she cute was great. but she's not like a character she's the same thing as like a, a puppy in family movie, i know, you know? And we and we give it a pass with the cat in captain marvel so she gets a pass too in my opinion you know what i mean sure, like, but that that doesn't make the movie is what i'm trying to say well you're also you're underplaying how excellent i think jack dylan grazer is like he steals the movie from zachary levi consistently that kid is very very talented and they put a lot of the focus on him and his insecurities, and he's the one that should be the superhero, and we get that frustration really well. So I think the fact that the other characters are kind of siphoned off to the side is not a huge deal, but I still enjoyed when they were around. Like, I think they did enough with the older sister where we talk about her, you know, her ambitions. They do enough with the foster parents where they're trying to be strict, but they're also trying to give this very tough kid love. I mean, it's just a matter of preference, I think. But I never was bored. I never found myself, like, annoyed that they were around. I just thought they, like, they were entertaining and they filled out the rest of the movie well. And they do some things with them that I was very pleased with later that integrated them in more, which we have to get into spoilers to do. And I think we Mm. should start pivoting towards spoilers right now. Yeah, Um, that's fair. So, Nate, I'll kind of let you rebuttal as you give your ratings here if you would like to. Sure. If you are just joining the Middle Seats podcast for the first time, we operate on the seats scale. Basically, that means we rate movies based on different kinds of seats. If we think a movie is flawless and has no problems, we give it a royal throne. If it's a movie you think is really solid and something that needs to be seen, we give it a plush recliner. If it's a movie with decent-sized flaws but still enjoyable overall, we give it a wooden seat. If it's the inverse of that where we think it's a movie that has a lot of problems but has some pretty solid, decent things that kind of save it, 
we give it a damp lawn chair, and if it's a movie with no redeemable qualities whatsoever, we give it a sleazy outhouse. And if we think you need to see it in theaters, either with an audience or on a big screen, we give it the bag of popcorn moniker. So Nate, let's start with you. A lot of it probably is just personal preference when it comes to this sort of thing, but I was just looking down the list of movies that I've given wooden seats to, and I like them all better than I like this one. And that's why this one's a damp lawn chair for me. I think it really comes down to dialogue, which at best, it reminded me of like a Disney Channel movie, and at worst, is really cringy. The leads are all right. The superhero discovery part is fun. And I will say that there are some really funny, creative jokes that you can only make in superhero movies that this does well. But that kind of just fits the mold of our damp lawn chair rating, where there's some standouts but not enough to carry the entire movie. So that's why I'm going to stick to this one. Wanted to like it more, but it just did not land for me. Jake, where, where do you stand? I'm, I'm not quite that low. I walking out of the theater, call right home, you know, reflecting some thoughts. I was, I was kind of torn on, on two because on one hand it was fun. It's certainly not a bad movie. I had an enjoyable experience. I would recommend it to people who like fun and superhero movies, but it just didn't quite sit with me as well as, uh, some of the other superhero, a lot of other superhero movies. Um, so I think I'm going to be like a high-end uh, wooden seat. I already riled Andrew's pot a little bit by being low on it. I riled Nate's a little bit and say I did like it better than Aquaman. Personally, I think it's a little bit better than Aquaman. Oh, God, they're not even the same league, Oh, in my opinion. <laughs> I liked it better than Aquaman, but it just it didn't quite do enough for me to bring it up to a plush or criner, personally. But still, still a good movie, still enjoyable. You know, worth the watch. Glad I saw it. Yeah, and I'm hearing you guys. I am. I was not expecting this, to be honest, because I like the way it came out for me, it just had this kind of universal sense of like fun for me like that. I know I'm trying to avoid using fun so many times, but like that's just the Mm -hmm. key word that I kind of kept hooking to. It's got this just goofy heart that a lot of superhero movies don't have these days. And it is reminiscent of some other movies, but I feel like it's one of a kind in its concept and its ability to mix in the familial aspects. And it's a Christmas movie, which I was not expecting. And I think they do some really good stuff with that as well. I didn't think it needed to be, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I, no movie ever has to be a Christmas movie, but I always appreciate when they exist. Um, Zachary, Levi's excellent. It just has a lot of things that worked for me overall. It's not a movie that I would like, go crazy about. I still think it's probably my second favorite DC movie. I liked Wonder Woman a little bit better. But we got to assess where Nate is on all these DC movies because I feel like he's low on every single one of them. <laughs> Maybe. He's not alone. I but. gave Aquaman a wooden seat, didn't I? You did, but you also gave yeah. Wonder Woman a wooden seat, and you've never gone higher than wooden seat. Correct. Yes. Because they haven't gotten there. <laughs> <laughs> but I disagree. I would give this a plush recliner, in my opinion. I think it is a bag of popcorn because if you, I think if you see it with a really good audience like I did, they were having a great time, and that kind of made my mood better, too, a little bit. I mean, that always can play a role in it, but I think there's enough here that made it work on its own to re- more than recommend it. So we have quite the scale of stuff here. Good. We rarely have this. Um, But the critics agree with me, guys. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Let's go into our spoiler section. If you have not seen Shazam, please tune out now. If you have seen Shazam, please join us. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So guys, we'll start with something that I think all of us agree on, which is that, I mean... With a lot of these superhero movies these days, it's kind of rare that we have a villain that we go, wow, that was amazing. And usually it's for good reason. In my opinion, it's for good reason here because it gives more time to Shazam to develop him and make him interesting and fun. But there's not really a lot going on with the Doctor here, Uh, even though they devote the beginning of the movie to him, which I was very surprised by. It was a very dark, cold open. Right. I did not expect car flipping over people dying first act even though they didn't die to be fair but it obviously looked like it was yeah the sam raimi influences that's what i'm talking about there that scene and the scene where he goes and like kills his brother and throws him out the window and then summons like the seven deadly sins that took me off guard i was like this is Mm -hmm. suddenly dark for this kind of movie just the way it's shot and stuff totally reminded me of the hospital scene from spider-man yeah me too that's exactly what Mm -hmm. i thought of and again, David Sandberg has his background in horror, so I'm glad he was able to use that a little bit here. Um, but overall, I, I don't think it was really written that well. We understand his motivation, but it's just kind of flat. It just didn't really work. It's- it was so disappointing for me because there's so many threads to connect to the rest of the characters. Like, obviously, big final battle is 
Shazam kind of realizes that Envy's the one that's stuck inside of him. And isn't that a great parallel to Jack Dylan Grazer's character? Because he was envious of Shazam. That's true. I didn't think of that. Like, that's a, that's a cool th- thread there. And, like, he was so evil during his introduction scenes that when he just kind of, like, does the standard bad guy thing of, oh, I'm going to have your family hostage for a second, but I'm not actually going to hurt him or anything. Like, it just seemed like a complete flip. And maybe they could have scripted it as, like, he was abused as a kid, so he didn't want to hurt other kids kind of thing. But he mm. never does that. He's just generic bad guy. There's... There was a lot of potential there, even if they didn't need to develop it. Like, they didn't need to go full Thanos on this guy and make him a main character. But just make him a little more interesting. He was just generic bad guy. Yeah, you're not going to get an argument out of me on that one. Like, Mark Strong's doing his best, but not much going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark Strong is a, is a good actor, and I was excited to see him in this movie. But they, they don't really do a whole lot with him or for him. He's just kind of... You know, I have a really dark past, and I was just told I'm not good enough, therefore I will show you that I'm good enough through evil ways. Right. Okay. There's the whole parallels between this unorthodox family and his background, because he has, you know, biological parents that are with him the whole time, but he turns out to be the evil one, you know what I mean? So it's the Mm -hmm. idea that family doesn't have to come from one specific spot. Direct blood, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, like, you think about it now, but it's not something that really clicks with you in the movie because it's not really going into it too much. Mm -hmm. I will say that best joke in the entire movie for me, hands down, and that's Ah. when they're doing the flying battle and he has like this whole evil dialogue and uh, Jackery Levi is just going like, what? I can't hear you. You're a mile away. (laughs) Right, because they're like buildings apart. That was was gold. I will absolutely give the movie a gold star for that joke. That was great. That was awesome. I I got a kick out of that one. I thought the entire testing out powers montage had a lot of great stuff like that in it. They they spoil it in the trailer. I really wish they hadn't. But the leaping leaping over buildings part, yeah. where he tries to he tries to jump mm. over the building and goes into like the thirtieth floor. And for a second, it looks like he has it, and then just nope. <laughs> yeah, that was a really well directed shot too, because you thought the camera might follow him, but you just watch it from the perspective down below. No, mm. I I did like the the learning powers. Yeah, I like that. I liked right before the learning the powers part where he goes to buy beer and he keeps asking the bank robbers to shoot him in the face. <laughs> like I thought Yeah, that... I'm I'm glad that whole scene wasn't spoiled, just part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But like so much of that learning power scene was in the trailers, you know? I didn't analyze these trailers much, but a lot of their biggest hitting jokes from the mo- training montage was in the trailer. And that was a little disappointing. I wanted something more. There were there were some things in it that they left out that I really enjoyed. Like some, I thought like it was a good 50% easy. Yeah, but the the 50% they left out was probably my favorite stuff. Teach his own then. I love them robbing the ATM. I love that that he went into the he went into the titty bar basically and <laughs> like I really like that they go back to it. Like yeah, teleport us but, out of here. Think of any place, any place and that's where he goes. <laughs> he brings the children. Yeah, yeah, that was really funny too. That made me laugh. I think my favorite part of the entire movie, even though it's kind of ripping off Spider-Man Homecoming, was the final shot. That was such a silly but great ending. They cut it off mid-sentence, too. Like, just like Homecoming. <laughs> That's a hell of a way to get rid of a mustache, though. Let's just cut off the entire actor's head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a hell of a way to not pay Henry Cavill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's zero was shot that was him. Mm-hmm. I think where I really fell off the movie was the mid-section when... Uh, Zach Dylan Grazer's character and Asher Angel's character have their falling out. And maybe it's just because I've seen that whole arc before and you could see it coming a mile away. But I just found a lot of the dialogue between them cringy. And the fact like it always happened in public spaces and nobody else seemed to mind. Everyone else is just walking around in the background was just so off to me. It just felt so TV movie fake to me. That annoyed me. And then to top it all off, you have one of the biggest movie sins, and again, this isn't really affecting the grade, it was just another thing that bothered me, where you have Freddie Freeman come to from school to go to the top of the Rocky Steps to confront Shazam for not showing up at school. And then the whole bus thing happens, and somehow this one-legged crippled kid makes it all the way over to the highway where the bus happens, and they fight again in the span of 10 minutes and then the bad guy shows up and they fly all the way over Chicago and somehow Freddie Freeman shows up at the mall that they land in again to confront Shazam again you know it 
I feel like that's just lazy writing in my opinion. Like, oh, we gotta we gotta keep the plot moving because we got to get a whole third act to get to. Um, so let's just rapid fire move move this plot along and fall out, get together, fight. I'll give you the mall one. Yeah, that mall the mall one makes sense. I get that one. I don't agree about the other one because I think there has been a little bit more time passed. Like it's not ten minutes. I think it's probably closer to like an hour or so because the news is there interviewing him like after the whole thing happened. You know what I mean? I, I, again, it all it all come down to the dialogue there, and I just got a lot of cringe and a lot of boredom out of out of those confrontation scenes where yeah. they were shining for the rest of the movie. I thought their friendship was great. I just thought their falling off was weak. Right. Although I did like how uh, they spun on on Freddie Freeman, like why he was so you know envious and annoyed with Shazam. Because he's like, this is my whole shtick. You could care less about superpowers, and yet you're the one that has them. I, I like that they shined a light on that. Because, I mean, some people might be able to pick it out on their own. But in a, a lighthearted superhero movie, I think that was important. And it showed, you know, decent character background and personality and stuff like that. Even if maybe the maybe the dialogue wasn't great, but I did like that they threw that in there. I think that helped. Sure. Uh-huh. It made sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, It definitely helped on... You know, them losing touch, even if it was predictable, it still helped. There are lines in this movie that I agree with you on, like the whole, the grown worthiness of it. There is embracing its corniness, and with that comes some perilous moments, you know what I mean? But there was nothing that derailed the experience for me, the fun I was having, like it, it seemed to have for you guys. There are obviously people that agree with you on that. It's just, I think, overall, I kind of am siding with the crowd-pleasing elements of it. Well, you know what else I did like that I actually didn't see coming? The very end when all the kids in the foster home become a version of Shazam. I did like that and I did not see that coming. That's what I was talking about. I thought that was a brilliant idea that got them involved into the story because the movie spends so much time showing how bad Billy is with these powers. Like he only kind of knows what he's doing. He's using these powers at 15% capability that it would make sense that he would not be able to take all seven of those things on by himself. So why not get everybody else involved as well? And it really hammers home the, you know, maybe he didn't get the the blood family that he wanted, but he's got these guys as well, helping him right. out, having his back. Uh, mm. And then giving them their their screen time or their, their dues, I guess. I really like that whole incorporation of them at the end. I thought that was a really good idea. Right, because it looks like the movie's not building to that. And I was ready to feel underwhelmed by what it was going to give me. But then they kind of turn that around and bring that into it, and it that worked really well. And there's some fun cameos in there, too. Right. One or two people I recognized, yeah. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. It was a nice surprise. I did not expect them to bring out the Shazam family. I think that is the official name from the comics. Yeah. Like, the whole thing going into it, in the back of my head, I'm like, why is the family still here fighting with the bad guy? They kept them around for a while. I'm glad there was a payoff to keeping them around that long. But I was starting to get like a little annoyed in the back of my head. Like, you guys aren't helping anymore. You're just bodies that these demons are going after. So good on them for at least having the payoff there. And in an unexpected one, too. But again, like once you get to that point, every single one just has like their one line of, oh, this is that my superpower that's vaguely related to my character quirk that I introduced for the first act of the movie. And that was it. I kind of just wish it, we weren't fighting generic CGI monsters. Yeah, I think, like, the, the Seven Deadly Sins was an interesting idea, but I think the execution could have been better. Like I said, a lot of the mythology stuff didn't work for me as far as that goes. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's very, like, very, very mythologically good versus evil, which in some cases works. Here, it it didn't work all the time. Some points yeah. worked, and some points I was like, Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> there was one joke at the end there where Shazam, like, makes a joke, oh, yeah, I thought Lust was going to be a lot hotter, as he was, like, labeling all the deadly sins. Like, right, that was pretty Fine good. joke, but, like, we never even, like, saw each of the creatures individually, so I couldn't even tell you which one Lust was. Yeah, I kind of wish they, they gave they're that more They're just CGI too. monsters, yeah. Yeah, they're CGI blobs. You never see them for a full frame to, like, really look at them, and you always see them in the dark. Right. I wonder what that harkens back to, you know? When they established that, I thought they were going to do more... Like, Envy was the one inside Mark Strong's character the whole time. I thought they were going to do a little bit more of that. Like, maybe make it mm-hmm. clear that, you know, Darla, when she turns into a Shazam, she takes out a specific one. Shazam himself takes out a specific one. Like, that's just what I thought off the top of my head. But I thought they are going to do more in-depth Deadly Sins. And they just turned out to be regular, like, ghost monsters, I guess. Uh, all right, guys. It's time for me to say the magic words. We need to wrap up here. Jake, why don't you give your final thoughts since you were kind of on a roll? I thought it was I thought it was overall a solid movie. Like it wasn't bad. It's still worth seeing, worth the experience. Part of me says spoiled, but even then, 
it's just not as good as a lot of the other superhero movies we're getting nowadays. Still, still good, better than the average DC movie. But I, I was hope I thought I would like it more than I did. Truthfully, just overall solid movie, but just nothing here that really made me go, wow, or really Shazam. Me. Yeah, sure. There hmm. you go, <laughs> Nate. Yeah, I'm I'm sticking to my damp lawn chair writing. I've definitely given out damp lawn chairs to movies I didn't like. And this one might be, like, closer to wooden seat in that regard. There's just something missing that I didn't connect with on this one. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with just the acting and the dependence on the child actors that just felt so one-note to me. And I wish the movie wasn't as predictable as it was. Like, I saw the whole arc as it was happening... And I just, I wasn't excited throughout the entire experience, which is a shame because I think there's potential here and I'll look forward to more movies of this caliber, but I will just throw my one, one little dig here that it's very telling to me that the best DC movies have been the one that copied the Marvel formula in terms of humor and heart. So, uh, steps in the right direction, but I'm still not on board on the DCEU train. (laughs) Steps on the right direction, except it took a step back in rating. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I never said I was consistent. (laughs) For me, this is a very good step for them. There's irony in the fact that I'm saying this when we're basically talking about how this movie copies Marvel's formulas and they got to it too late. But at the same time, this movie works uniquely on its own by kind of building familial niche. You know what I mean? It's about family. Uh, Asher Angel's getting kind of outacted by Jack Dylan Grazer and Zachary Levi, but there's a couple of key scenes that requires him to play up the the kind of foster child angle, and he does a pretty good job with that. Uh, I love the supporting cast around him. It's, it's just a lot of fun. There's a lot of inspiration from Big, including direct references to it. It feels like Goonies. It feels like Ferris Bueller. It's all the superhero versions of those movies, and I think if you approach it like that and you're just looking for the base level version of that, it fulfills its role perfectly. I had a really good time with it. I think you will, too. That will do it here for our review of Shazam. Before we go, Nate Lungarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all at the middle seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. It's the big one, guys. We're approaching it. We're going to be talking about Avengers Endgame coming very soon, so keep your eyes out for that. Of course, we'll probably have some Game of Thrones talk in the future. Please let us know what you think of the show. We're very much loving your feedback and loving the fact that people are listening to us. That'll do it here on the Middle Seats Podcast. For Nate Lungarini and Jay Kensler, I'm Andrew Ogier. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.